The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the strategies of Satan. And again, we're not, we don't talk about Satan in any way, shape, or form to glorify Satan. So for those that haven't been a part of this, I want you to know that, that we talk about his strategies so that we can be aware of the things that he's up to and that we then can be prepared to handle the issues that come our way because he is very strategic and he is very evil and he wants nothing good for you nor me nor this church nor this community nor your family. So it's important that we understand his strategies and it's important that we understand what he's up to so we can be more prepared and better prepared with God's word to handle the enemy. We've been speaking the last few weeks over, uh, we, we talked about Satan as the deceiver. And the deceiver works in the mind to bring doubt and denial of God's love and his well-being for us, which then brings ultimate deception. And then we spoke about him as the destroyer. And as a destroyer, he works in our physical body to destroy us there so we struggle with God's provision and God's healing for us and, and, and our ability to glorify Him. So we struggle in our body. He comes and attacks our body. If you can't work in the mind, He goes to the body. And then last time we spoke about Him being the ruler. And as a ruler, Satan works on our will. Who is going to be in charge of my life? Who is going to control my life? Is it going to be Christ or is it going to be my fleshly desires? Who's going to be the supreme ruler? It's really a form of idolatry, and it's wrong if we allow the enemy to get in and make us the ruler of our life. So the battle is over the will, my heart, my will, my willpower. Who am I going to be? Who is going to control my life, God or my fleshly desires? And then today we're going to talk about Satan as the accuser. And the significance of this weapon is that this one kind of ties all the others together. And that his ultimate goal of destroying the body of Christ, which is the church, he does it through accusations. Most of the time it comes through accusations. As important as we think we are, we are only a pawn in the scheme of things and the way the enemy looks at us. Yes, Satan wants to destroy me and he wants to destroy you. And, he will, and in that, he will use you and me to get to his bigger purpose. And that is to destroy the works of God. The major difference in the love of God that God has for us and the hatred that Satan has for us is this. God so loves us. He so loved the world. He so loves us that he cares for us like we are the most important thing to him in the world. In fact, Jesus would have died for you alone. If you were the only one, he would have died for you. You are so important to him. As big as God is and as small as we are, we are that important to God that he would have died just for you. Satan, on the other hand, hates us so much that he doesn't care about us at all. Only what he can get out of us to hurt ourselves, others, and the body of Christ. And he can do that through multiple ways. He can either do that through a very direct opposition or he can do it through puffing you, puffing you up in your pride so that he, he exalts you on a high level. But be, but be aware of this. As soon as he gets what he wants out of you, he will throw you away like a rag doll. He has no regard for your person. He has no regard for your well-being. He has no regard for your family. He has no regard for anything good in you. All he wants is evil and destruction from the book that I've been reading and studying for this and other 
things. Um, the author is Dennis McCollum, and the title is Satan and His Kingdom. He says this. He says, causing Christians to sin is the beginning, not the end, of Satan's plan. One of his key goals is to exploit the psychological and spiritual turmoil sin causes in us. Deception goes into high gear if he succeeds. By planting accusations in the mind of believers who fall into sin, Satan takes events that should be resolved easily and turns them into highly destructive episodes. Satan is a master manipulator, and he manipulates things. When, Satan, when people sin, Satan fires accusations in at least four areas, and these are the ones I want to talk about today. Number one, he accuses humans to God. Number two, he accuses God to humans. Number three, he accuses believers to each other. And number four, he accuses me to myself. Let's talk about number one, accusing humans to God. There are numerous examples in the Bible that prove that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and that he brings direct accusations of us to God. Satan knows that he's not in control. Even though he is deceived, he still knows that God is God and that he must have some way to accuse us before God so that God will have to exercise his righteous judgment on us. What Satan is really trying to do is, is manipulate God. Can you believe that? Satan is trying to manipulate God into using God's own rules against us. God in his righteousness, he's trying to manipulate God to, to, to bring accusation against us so that God in his holiness and his righteousness has to judge us. And so Satan brings accusations to God about us, saying, saying that, God, they, they need to be punished. Punish them, God. Your word says you, you cannot deal with sin. So God is constantly bringing accusations, or Satan is bringing accusations to God about you and I. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, in the English Standard Version, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan is at work relentlessly bringing accusation of us before a just and righteous God. There's numerous examples in the Old Testament. I'll talk about a couple here just briefly. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 talks about Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In this case, we see Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua, the high priest, bringing accusation to God about Joshua. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Then there's the other obvious example of Job. We all know Job's plight, how Satan brought accusation to God against Job. Job 1, verses 9 and 11. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, what I find interesting about these two passages is this. Satan brings accusations that are either that we are so bad in our sin that we're not worthy to live. And the other thing that he says is that, 
or that God is so good to us that we're not worthy to live. When we look at the Zechariah situation, Zechariah was, was a high priest, and this was a vision he had. And Zechariah, in this vision, he was before God in soiled garments, dirty clothes, and high priests were supposed to be clean. And he went in this vision before God in his soiled clothes, and the devil rightly was accusing him of sin. He was rightly accusing him of, see, God, he's a, he's a dirty man. He's a filthy man. He has dirty clothes on. And God looks at that and says, yes, <laughs> he does. And so in, in some ways, Satan uh, accuses us justly because of our sin. But then God comes and he defends Joshua. He says, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, for the Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? What he's saying here is that God will defend the person and he hates the sin. But he will, he will never attack the person. God does not attack the person if that person's a righteous person, if that person has had sin and has repented. God comes to your defense. Where Satan will bring that just accusation to you, or to God, trying to twist it on God and say, God, no, he's a sinful man, therefore you must punish him. But God says, I rebuke you, Satan, because I know this man. I judge his character. I judge his motives. I know this man. Therefore, I'm not going to. I will not. Jesus has already paid the penalty. Now, this was Old Testament day before he could, he could say that at that point. So let's move on to Job. The other situation is that God is so good to us that we're not worthy to live. In this situation, the, the accusation made against God is that, God, you're too good to him. He's only serving you because you're protecting him. You take away your covering from him, and he will fall from you. You take away his protection, and he will curse you. And that's the other accusation that Satan will bring to God. And here's, the, here's what God has. God has the right, and it's always in God's defining moments in our lives to either rebuke Satan on our behalf or to provide a test of some type for us in this type of accusation. But understand, either way, God is always in control, and he is always in charge when it's a time of testing in our lives, as we are obedient in the test, the outcome is always, 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 always for our best interest. God never allows the enemy to attack us if it's not for our best interest. As we are obedient in the test, and as we follow through on God's plan, and as we are diligent in understanding what our role is, and that is serving God with all of our heart, uncompromisingly serving God with all of our heart, the test is for our benefit. And rest assured, in the accusing that Satan does before God, he cannot fool God. And he cannot twist this in any way against us. No matter how hard he tries, Satan cannot outthink God. He cannot outtwist a strategy. He cannot put God's hand against us because of his accusations. So be comforted in that. Remember, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So even though Satan is at our right hand accusing us, he is accusing us day in, day in and day out, but Jesus is sitting, hand at the, sitting at the right hand of the Father bringing intercession for our behalf. So take comfort in that. Number two, accusing God to humans. Accusing God to humans. We've discussed in the past weeks how Satan has tempted Eve in the garden, and his strategy where, there was to accuse God to Eve that God was trying to keep the best things in the garden away from them, and that's why they were not able or forbidden to eat from the tree of life. Because God was 
trying to keep the good things from you, Eve. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to have the good things. Therefore, Satan brings accusations to us about God's character. Satan weakened Eve's ability to resist the temptation to disobey God by bringing that accusation that God really didn't have their best interest in heart, that it was really all about God keeping the better things from life away from them. And Satan was portraying God as an over, overly restrictive, overbearing God that was all about being mean, hot-headed, ready to punish, that God is only interested in taking things away from us and really not loving us. That's a very common accusation in case you don't recognize it. Let me digress just a minute here and say something that I hope you will never forget. Young people, write this down. If you have a pencil, write this down. Because this is the thing that you struggle with more than anything else. Is this. When in God's, in God, in his word says, don't, what he really is meaning is, don't hurt yourself. When he says don't, what he's meaning is don't hurt yourself. See, we think the don'ts are to keep us from the fun things in life. We think the don'ts are to keep us boring and keep us church kids and keep us all wrapped up in being our parents' puppets and being like little mom and little dads. Well, that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. That's an accusation. God has some very basic rules of right living and holy conduct. And part of those rules are some very obvious don'ts. God created us so he knows us. And he knows the ramifications and the consequences of sin. Remember, he's the creator and we're the creation. He really does understand everything about us. And everything we're facing. So when he says, as in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain, meaning don't do sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 22-26. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There's a lot more scriptures we could read about God giving us holy instruction of the things that we should avoid. And every time he tells us to flee or to don't do or to stop doing whatever that it is that's not honoring to God, it's not because God is wanting to keep the better things in life from you. It's just the opposite. Please hear me on this. He's trying to preserve us so that we can have the enjoyment of a full, 
uncompromised life where we can live without the consequences of sin and the chain of guilt and remorse that sin brings. You see, even after we're forgiven, the consequences of sin many times linger with us, sometimes for a lifetime. We're forgiven, we're clean, we're righteous, but in the order of life's consequences, they remain as a result of our choices. Either good or bad, the consequences will remain. We don't outrun them. A man reaps what a man sows. And I have an interesting example about this. There's a, um, we, <laughs> we had a guy down in our office a couple weeks ago have a pumpkin latte. Big pumpkin latte from Starbucks. And he was walking through the office and he says that the bottom fell out of the cup. We're saying that he dropped it. <laughs> in any regard, it fell on the floor. And this whole full coffee uh, cup full of pumpkin latte just made a huge mess. And Floyd knows what I'm talking about when it comes to cleaning up coffee stains. Right, Floyd? Yeah, it's a lot of work. So we spent, the company spent two weeks trying to clean that up. They went themselves. They took their best cut at it, and they couldn't do it after a couple times. Then they, went, they got Stanley Steamer. Stanley Steamer came in, and, and they worked hard trying to get this pumpkin latte stain out of this brand-new carpeting. And what I got out of this was kind of a chuckle because no matter how hard they tried, the stain was still in the carpet. But I'll tell you what, that carpet has never been cleaner. You could eat off that carpet. I mean, it has been cleaned multiple times. They even had tape marks so that we couldn't walk on that area, so that you, was, you had to walk around it. So that carpet was really, really clean. But it was stained because the coffee was in the fibers of that carpet, and nothing was going to get the coffee stained out, but yet it's clean. That reminded me of my life before Christ. As I come to Christ fully repentant, of my sin, get, and I get down in the dirt repentant of my sin, he cleans me like there is no sin there. He cleans me like I am whiter than snow, but yet the consequences of my sin stay with me. I have a scar on my knee from three knee operations when I was in high school. I was healed. I was healed. For, for those that remember it, I was healed. I don't have a day of pain in my life. God healed my knee, but I still have the scar. He didn't take the scar. So that every day, I, every time I put on shorts and I look at the scar, it reminds me of the healing in my life. Sometimes the consequences do that. So what I'm telling you, young people, is this. You cannot, you can get away. You, can, you don't have to go through life with scars. You don't have to go through life with consequences if you make the right choices along the way. And that's what I'm trying to hurt, or that's what I'm trying to say. Let me say it one more time. When God says don't, remember what he is really saying is don't hurt yourself. Can it be said any more clear? Is there any question? Don't hurt yourself. Satan knows that in our dealings with God, relationship is central. And he is the master of creating a distancing in the relationship. 
That's why all these accusations that he brings are intended to break down our relationship with God. He understands firsthand that sin is the distancing agent in that relationship, as that's what happened to him. When Satan was in heaven before he fell, when he was Lucifer, he had a very good relationship with God. Sin entered into his life when he became prideful, and that pride brought a distancing in the relationship that he had with God. So he understands firsthand what sin does. And as Satan's goal is to destroy us, he uses accusations to manipulate us in the psychology of mind warfare to make us feel that we are unworthy to come to God because our sin has separated us from the love of God. And that's what his strategy is when it comes to being an accusing spirit. That God would never have us back because we're so bad. Our sin is so serious, so bad that God just could never receive us back unto himself. That our relationship is broken, never to be restored. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And that is one of the accusations that Satan brings to people that have sinned. So us older folks that have been around life a little bit, you've made some mistakes. You know you've made the mistakes. Nobody's got to tell you you've made mistakes. You know that. And believe me, the enemy knows that. And he will continue to bring accusations to you against that. And he will bring them to God at the same time. And then he will bring the accusations to us that God just cannot forgive us. That God's grace is not enough for us. It's not going to work for me. Maybe it will work for you, but not for me. Listen, believer, this just isn't true. God's grace is sufficient to cover my sin and your sin no matter what it is. If you come to God with a truly repentant heart and not using grace as a cover-up, to ask for forgiveness to only repeat the same sin next Saturday night, but to apply the power of grace, meaning that using the power to change, God's grace is so sufficient, it not just forgives my sin, but it gives me the power to change so that I don't have to repeat that. Then God will forgive you and he will make you clean and will restore that relationship that Satan is trying to break are trying to bring you by bringing those absolutely wrong accusations. We must see and remember that God is the God of restoration. He is the God of forgiveness. He is the God of restoring. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And notice here the key words, if anyone is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, if they are in Christ, you are a new creation. See, the world's perspective on this is they take out those five words, if anyone is in Christ. They want to just skip and they want to say, therefore, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. No, you have to understand that if anyone, you have to put on Christ every day. You have to be in Christ and as you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 18 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, the legalism 
the legalist in all of us would say that we're just making rules to live by, and then when we break the rules, we're sinning and we're separating ourselves from the mercy and grace of God. And what Satan takes that mentality, he'll take that and then he will play in the minds of that kind of thinking. And the result of that is that we lose that relational aspect of a closeness with God. And when we are weakened like that, we fall into a cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, because we really don't have the repentant heart that restores that true relationship that says we are in Christ. So we need to stop doing this on our own. We need to pray and repent and let the Holy Spirit come in and work and clean us up. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you must submit yourselves first. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. But then here's the crux of it all. We serve and we do the things not because we have to, but because we get to. That's the, that's the crux of it all. If you want to defeat Satan in his accusations of God to you, then you have to love Jesus. Because we love Jesus so much, we only want to do the things that please him. And therefore, there are no accusations that Satan can bring to us about God's character. Because we know that God gave Christ as an example and a witness and a testimony and a sacrifice for us. Sacrifice being the key word. Now I'm going to stop here because I don't want to get, we're never going to have room to get into the next two, accusing believers to each other and accusing us to ourselves. So we're going to pick this up next week. Father, I thank you. I just thank you, Lord, for your majesty, and I thank you for your greatness. And Lord, I thank you how you teach us and how you spend time teaching us in all of our different life's problems and issues. And Lord, I just really pray that the words that are spoken and the, the prayers that are made and the songs that are sung in this church are long-term effect. They're just not forgotten when we walk out of this building. That the people that were ministered to in prayer this morning, that they go in victory today. They go with healing today. They go being set free in the areas that they were bound today. And I pray that the word that was spoken today also is remembered today. Lord, that the enemy, as he brings an accusing spirit to us, that we know that he is up to no good, and that he knows that he is out to destroy us through this doubting and denial and deception and he's out to play in the mind and he's out to play in the body and he also is out to destroy so lord until we come again next week to finish this lord we just commit this to you now i pray that you'd keep it fresh in our minds keep it fresh in our hearts jesus we really 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 love you and we really want to do the things that are pleasing to you we honor you today father we submit our lives to you be with us and guide us, we pray. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.